Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. Uh, Zachary just prayed. My name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad uh, that you decided to join us for this 9 a.m. service. And, uh, let me also say, if you are newer uh, to our church, I realize the summertime is a time where uh, many people move into our area and, and many people move away from our area. Um, so if you're newer, or if maybe I've never met you, I would love to meet you after the service. I'll be at the Connect Tent, Connect Table. Love to just shake your hand and say hello. So please come by. Uh, and introduce yourself. I would love to connect with you. Uh, but we are right now in the middle uh, of a sermon series titled Sacred Practices. And we're taking this summer and we're looking at eight sacred or spiritual practices that we think are vital for the nourishment and flourishing of our life with God. Sacred practices are rhythms and habits that we live into as channels of God's presence. Uh, at our First City Fellowship, uh, for those of you who were there, you might remember, remember that Timothy, uh, Pastor Timothy, used the analogy of trellis and vine to talk about practices and spiritual rhythms and habits. Uh, I think the trellis and vine analogy is an extremely helpful one. We have a trellis at our house in our front yard, the left side of our house, uh, that's right in between uh, the two windows on the left side of our house. And this trellis keeps our jasmine plant growing in a certain direction and within a certain area. Right? A trellis provides the track and boundary for the jasmine to grow and flourish. Without the trellis, our jasmine plant would be on the ground. Maybe it'd be growing, but it'd be going and growing in every which direction. The trellis allows it to grow up and within boundaries. Now catch this, the trellis is neither dead or alive. It's just a helpful track for the jasmine to grow and flourish. The jasmine plant is what is dead or alive. And sacred practices are the trellis for our souls in relation with God. And depending on your church background, uh, maybe you've heard it said, or maybe you might even feel this at times, all this talk about practices and habits and liturgies, it's just dead spirituality. What we need is a fresh new experience. But trellis is not dead or alive. Practices aren't what is dead or alive. It is our souls that are living or dying. And how we approach these practices can either bring death or life. And all eight of the practices that we're preaching on this summer are trellis for our souls. But if we think the practice in itself is the goal, it will lead to death. But if we realize that the practice is a channel that leads us ultimately into God's presence, into experiencing the grace and the love of God, it will cause life. So this morning, we're going to look at the sacred practice of gospel community. We're going to look at maybe a somewhat familiar passage, if you're familiar at all with the Bible. It's a picture of the early church living in community in Acts chapter 2. And so if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand uh, as we do every week to give attention to God's word to us this morning from Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were, be were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Well, God, we thank you that you spoke long ago to those who wrote down your word, and we thank you that this word is living and active, and that, Holy Spirit, you speak yet again through it to us. And so I pray that you would gift us ears to hear, that you would gift us hearts that are receptive to be transformed as you speak to us, that we would hear from you and that we would encounter you and that you would send us out of here having experienced you. Uh, Thank you that you're with us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, over the past few weeks, uh, the New York Times opinion writer Jessica Gross wrote a five-part series on why Americans are moving away from religion. Maybe you've seen this series in the New York Times. Uh, She's writing about a movement that has been described as the rise of the nuns, right? Those who are not affiliated with religion. In her fifth and final newsletter uh, that came out this past week, she wrote that out of 7,000 people she interviewed, the word community was mentioned in over 2,300 responses. That those interviewed mentioned how leaving their religious community has really cost them community that they've not been able to find anywhere else, even though they've tried to replace it. Gross writes that that she asked every sociologist she interviewed whether communities created around secular activities outside houses of worship could give the same kind of wraparound support that churches are able to offer. And nearly across the board, the answer was no. Phil Zuckerman, a professor of sociology and secular studies at Pitzer College, put it this way. He says, I can go play soccer on a Sunday morning and hang out with people from different races and different class backgrounds, and we can bond. But I'm not going to do that with my grandparents and my grandchildren. And Gross continues to write, a soccer team can't provide spiritual solace in the face of death. It probably doesn't have a weekly charitable call, and there's no sense of connection to a heritage that goes back generations. You can get bits and pieces of these qualities elsewhere, but there's nothing quite like the fullness of community that can be experienced in the church. Now, I found this article written by a non-Christian helpful on a number of points, or a few things. The first thing is that the, the, the reality is that all people are longing for community. Everyone wants to connect with another human being, yet loneliness continues to increase in our country. Right, a recent Gallup poll showed 44 million Americans suffer from severe loneliness. It's truly a silent disorder that is wreaking havoc on so many in major ways. And every single one of us, if we're honest, would, it, would say we experience loneliness in our own ways. Now, the, the second thing this article is saying is that church community is unique and how it can meet the longings and needs of one another. And lastly, the article is pretty clear, is that genuine community found in the church can be attractive to the world, right? Even those who have left the church with their frustrations and angers at the church, gross rights, miss the community of the church. So this morning, I want us to see from Acts 2, 42 to 47, what makes gospel community different than the community you might find in a soccer league or a dinner group or a, board, or a book club or a neighborhood hangout. Right? Ultimately, 
It's what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.16 that makes gospel community different. This is what he writes. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Christian community, those who gather together for connection through the gospel of Jesus become the temple of God. The Holy Spirit, the presence of the living God dwells within There is no other community anywhere that gets to claim this. Now, I heard a a story a few years ago about a little boy who brought his dad with him to his third grade class on Bring Your Father to School Day. Uh, And that morning, the little boy's father was observing his son and a small group of students. And this group of boys were talking about their dads. And, And one boy said, hey, my dad is a doctor. We have a pool at our house, and and I own a dirt bike. Another kid in the group said, uh, well, my dad owns his own company, and we get to go to Hawaii every summer. Another kid said, my dad's a firefighter, and he fights fire. And the little boy whose father was listening began to feel very insecure because he didn't have a dirt bike, he had never been to Hawaii, and he, he didn't have a dad who fought fires. And then he thought for a second, and he finally said to this group of boys, Yeah, well, my dad is here. He's right over there. And all these boys whose dads had not come to that day looked up, saw his dad, and the look on their faces were like, whoa, his dad is here. Their dads could have been kings, but this little boy's dad was there. He was in the room. And when Christians gather together, hundreds like we're doing on the Lord's Day, or when two or three gather, God is in the room. And because of this, we're able to connect with God and one another in a way we can't in other community gatherings, as fun or as enjoyable as those gatherings might be. And as God is in the room, as God's presence dwells among us, there are three things that our passage, I think, shows us are distinctive about gospel community. These are the three things I think we see. Gospel community helps us to remember our identity. Secondly, gospel community has a deep commitment to one another. And third, gospel community is always outward facing. Let's look first at gospel community helps us to remember our identity. Verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. This gospel community of the early church, it was devoted to God's word through the apostolic teaching, to the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Each of these are sacred practices in their own right. The word of God, uh, a few weeks ago I preached on Holy Scripture as a practice. Sacraments, we're going to address this when we talk about Sabbath and worship as a practice. And prayer, if you were here last week, Timothy preached on prayer as a practice. And as the early Christians lived together, they were devoted to the word, to sacraments, and prayer. And there is a huge difference between liking the idea of something and being devoted to it. Someone might like the idea of exercise and being a member of the gym, and they might even buy a membership to O2 Fitness, buy some workout clothes, but then they never go to the gym. This is a person who likes the idea of exercise But a person who's devoted to exercise schedules everything else around their gym time. And this early gospel community in Acts chapter 2 was devoted to knowing who God is 
and who they are in relation to God as it was taught in the Bible and as it's encountered through the sacraments and prayer. Right? They didn't get together and only have fun, though I'm sure they had fun. And it wasn't just them getting together and eating a meal, though I know they did that. The passage tells us they did that. But they were devoted to being reminded of who God is and who they are in relation to God through the Bible, the sacraments, and prayer. And in doing this, they were continually being reminded of their true identity. Right? Identity is one of the, the great proclamations of the gospel. Right? The, the proclamation of the gospel is that God the Father loves you and that Jesus lived, died, and rose for you and the Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ to you. And through faith in Christ, we are made beloved daughters and sons, heirs of God's kingdom, children of the living God. This is the most fundamental thing about your identity. If you are a Christian, you are a beloved child of God, more loved than you could ever imagine. This is the truest thing about you. Think about your life. What things do you look to to define you? Maybe it's some past event. Winning or, or losing something in the past, getting or not getting that job, having or not having X amount of money in your bank account. M maybe it's a failure or failed relationship that you feel defines you. Maybe it's some past pain and hurt that you, you replay over and over in your mind. All of us in here have experiences and we go through events that we feel are so major that it becomes literally who we are. And it happens in macro ways, and it happens in micro ways throughout our weeks and days, which is why we need to come together in community and in devotion to the word, sacrament, and prayer, be reminded who God is and who we are in him, that our greatest identity is that we are Christian. We are in Christ, loved by God. The second thing that is distinct about gospel community is that gospel community has a deep commitment to one another. Look at verses 44 to 46. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 42 uses the word fellowship to describe what is happening in verses 44 to 46. Now, this type of fellowship that we see happening in verses 44 to 46, it's different than the way we might throw the word fellowship around these days. We think about fellowship and we think about being with like-minded people, maybe hanging out in some fun atmosphere, maybe drinking a beer, watching a football game, or eating chocolate and watching a movie. All right, that, that's good fellowship. But this word fellowship in Acts 2 in verse 42, it's the Greek word koinonia, and it means a deep commitment to one another. Now, most of us, myself included, are, are, can easily live with and are tempted to live with a consumer mindset in regards to community. And there is a huge difference between consumer and committed koinonia relationship. When you are a consumer, you engage in community as long as you get something out of it. As long as your needs are met, and if your needs are no longer being met, peace out. 
committed koinonia relationship is engaging in community not as a means to an end, rather as an end in itself. It is steady and it's constant despite circumstance and despite difference in the community. Christians in gospel community are committed to one another, not because of common interests, but because of common blood. We are united as family in and through Jesus, which means we remain committed to those that we are tempted to be at odds with because we are bonded together in Christ. This early gospel community was committed in such a way that they were willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. They were sacrificing preference. I mean, this community was, were, were Jews gathering from all different cultures, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, people with differing ideologies, devoted to one another more than they were devoted to their preferences. Another thing about this commitment to one another is that, this, this, that we see in Acts 2 is that they lived in close proximity to one another. They interacted more than once or twice a week. They had all things in common, They were in one another's home, breaking bread, eating together. And we all know this, that when when you live in close proximity with someone, it's inevitable that all things are coming out. There is no hiding or pretending. Think about the people you live with. They know you best because you can't hide. They see your ups and your downs. They see your joy and your impatience. Gospel community is unique because it's a commitment to one another in the ups and downs, on the good and bad days. And you may not live under the same roof with all all the people you're doing community and life with, but it can be a place where there is vulnerability and sharing around all the things. hear, Hear this, church. You will only ever be known to the degree that you're willing to be vulnerable. You will only be known to the degree that you let yourself be known. And all of us, myself, can hide and pretend and cover up and act. But if you're willing to be vulnerable and you and others remain committed, it's a powerful thing in our lives with God. The last thing that I'll mention about this deep commitment, this koinonia relationship, is is that it's seen through interdependent living, not independent living. And we're all good at independence. We're about to celebrate Independence Day, right? We're good at independence. But they were sacrificing material and financial possessions. Those with abundance were giving and helping those in need. Kent Hughes writes this. I've always loved this quote. He says, fellowship is not just a sentimental feeling of oneness. It's not punch and cookies. It does not take place simply because we're in the church hall. Fellowship comes through giving. True fellowship costs. So many people never know the joys of Christian fellowship because they've never learned to give themselves away. The truth is we will have fellowship only when we make it a practice to reach out to others and give something of ourselves. For us to live in this type of gospel community that I'm talking about, Christ Central, it means more than Sunday morning. You need, I need more than Sunday morning which is why we have city groups and men's and women's Bible studies and huddles. We need gospel community where we're deeply committed to one another, not around preferences, but because we are family in Christ and we sacrifice and we give to each other as needs arise. I love when I get to hear stories about how God is at work in our church. 
And, and I've, over the last year, I've, I've heard numbers of stories. I, I love when I hear about how city groups are showing up for one another and providing meals when someone is sick or going through a tragedy or having a child. I, I love hearing when someone's in the hospital and a group of people gather in the parking deck of the hospital to pray for that person. I love seeing two couples from our church who are 15 years apart in age at a restaurant in downtown Durham celebrating the graduation of college of one of these couples. I love having someone tell me that they always thought they would live in Raleigh until they came to Christ Central and realized that God was calling them to commit to this church community and to do that, it means living in proximity in order to be committed to others and to the city that we are in. And so they were going to buy a house in Durham. Amen. Gospel community is a deep commitment to one another. The last thing that we see is that gospel community is always outward facing. Look at verse 47. It says, they were praising God and they were having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God was pouring out his grace and his presence in and through them that more and more people were drawn to Jesus and drawn to trusting Jesus through this community. Now, I know it sounds grandiose, but the Christian's vision is for the whole world. That is our vision, that the whole world would know God. The cry of the Christian's heart is that all people would see the beauty of Christ and believe. Psalm 2 verse 8 says, ask and I will give you the nations. It is the cry of the Christian's heart. There is nothing better than seeing the Lord add to his kingdom day by day those who are being saved. Now, can I be pretty honest with you for a second here? All right, thank you. Thank you. Yes. God has graciously grown our church and is growing our church and, and people are experiencing Jesus in powerful ways. And God is adding to our community and we celebrate this. It's an incredible thing. But one of the things that came out over the past year as we hired a consultant to come take a deeper dive uh, look into our church's life is the truth that yes, Christ Central is highly rela relational as a church. We, we love being together, but... We can be a church that once people have found their people, their little group, people stop facing outward and stop looking for the new person or the left out person. Gospel community never reaches a capacity. It's never arrived. We're always open to how God is at work and in whom God is working. We look out for the one who was left out, the one who was new, the one who was wandered away, the one in whom God is drawing in. Now, I just mentioned the need for city groups and Bible studies. But if you come here, a caveat here, if you come here on a Sunday morning and you only have eyes to see your city group or eyes to see your Bible study or eyes to see only the people that live in your neighborhood and all you do is talk to your group, you're missing the fullness of being a gospel community. We must never be overly insular that we stop looking outward. And this isn't just on Sunday mornings. We have to do this in our city groups and Bible studies and neighborhood groups because Jesus compels us to reach out to others beyond our existing group. We invite others in to our community so that they can experience the gospel of Jesus. And God is the one who's at work drawing people to faith. It is the Lord and the Lord alone who adds to the number. We simply face outward and we love those whom God puts into our path. Right? We face outward. 
And we love people who are here on Sunday mornings that maybe we've never met before. We face outward and we see the people that are in our workplaces, in our classes, in our neighborhoods, in our gyms, in our sports leagues. And we love them and we build friendships with them and we invite them in. Gospel community is different and distinct and God uses it uniquely in our lives to help us remember our identity so that we can have this deep commitment to one another and so that we're always outward facing. But the end of gospel community is not community. The end goal of all sacred practices are connection to God himself. So no matter how strong our community is, no matter how devoted to the word, sacraments, and prayer, or how strong we might be in outward facing, the spiritual life of the community is not the same as your own spiritual life. The communal and the personal definitely overlap, but they're not identical. Catch this. God will use gospel community to ease loneliness in some ways, but there are ways community will never ease your loneliness. And you can only find comfort in God alone. And if you think community is the answer, you will make the mistake of asking people to do what only God can do. So remember, the aim of gospel community is not community. It is our soul growing in life with God as we experience the presence and grace of God in Christ through the Spirit. For when we gather together with hundreds on a Sunday morning, or two or three during the week. God is in the room. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would, even now, give us a very real sense that you are here with us. That when we gather together, we become the temple of the living God. And so God, I pray that you help us to avail ourselves to the gift that you've given us of community. Help us to remember who we are in you, God, that we are loved children. We are in Christ, set free. Help us, Lord, in in the times when we fail to be committed to one another. Lord, help us to, to, to remain committed even though we fail, to look to love, and help us to always face out because you came to seek and to save all. And so, Lord, may we have have a vision for all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.